You're listening to How I See It, hosted by Han. You guessed it, that's me. I am here to motivate and inspire you with guests from all different industries and backgrounds. So get ready for personal stories of success, of growth, full of highs and lows, and of course, unapologetic realness. This is How I See It. Your inside I've been unapologetic since birth. I love it. I love it. So I'm just so excited to have you guys here. So a little context for people. I guess we met through the Reading Club, which is this social club in San Diego. Really dope space. But you guys did the first master class, which was essentially members are coming up and talking about what they do and what they're passionate about. Um, and your guys's was amazing. I remember, so this was before, like I had even started even thinking logistically about the podcast. And I remember going into my notes and literally writing Anne Marie and Holly, like you're going to ask them to come on your podcast. Love it. <laughs> I remember seeing you there. Really? Like you were, yeah. I mean, of course you stand out in oh, the crowd. And you, I remember, I remember watching you write notes and I'm like, I hope she's digging this content because she's right. She's writing something. Oh, yeah. I hope it's good. <laughs> I mean, it was so interesting because I had never heard of anyone who like story told for a living. Yeah. And I guess we can start there. Yeah. So maybe you guys can just tell the people, like the listeners, um, what you guys do, like just simply. And yeah. Sure. So we teach companies. And when we say companies, they are pretty much fall into two primary buckets, which are big tech. Any big tech company you've heard of, we've very likely worked with. And a lot of um, attorneys and accountants, so professional service providers, and we teach them the art and science of storytelling. And so we teach them the neuroscience, the application, and structure. So they might use it in recruiting, they might use it in business development, in messaging, in internal conversations, external conversations, PR. But essentially, we're teaching people how to use what we know about the human brain to be more influential which is like insane. They're like, simply put. (laughs) So how does like, I I mean, that's amazing. And like, I obviously want you to get more into that, but like, how does one even like come to that? Like where, where, so your guys' company is called Story Imprinting. Like how does one even think like, I'm going to start a company to teach people how to tell stories? Yeah, I'll start. And then I want you to wait. So I want the full, your guys' full stories. So Anne-Marie and I come at storytelling from, you know, very similar but divergent sort of pathways, right? Um, And I'll let Anne-Marie talk more about her experience, but she um, is one of the foremost experts in sales and business development. Um, and she can talk a little bit more about that. But I started my career eons ago as a journalist, right? So I was always super interested in, I was nosy. I was interested in what made people tick, asking questions. Like when I realized that was a job you could have, it totally blew my mind. Um, you know, obviously journalism has changed a lot. Um, I'm going to, you know, date myself, but in the last 20 years (laughs) when I, when I started doing it, um, and I have had sort of dabbled in different careers. I'm a lawyer, so I had practiced law. I had been in-house at a retail services provider. And then I exited that about a decade ago to start doing just straight PR, right? Which is storytelling, right? But yeah. you're hired by a brand to go out and tell their story externally. And um, I just found myself always coming back to that. Um, 
And I had met Anne-Marie um, at, at an equal payday event when I was a lawyer <laughs> in downtown San Diego and um, was instantly really taken by her style. And I was like drawn to her in a weird way. I think I'm like, I need to be this person's friend. No, like, I need to know her. No, you're drawn to her style? <laughs> why? Yeah, I, I mean, I remember, why. Yeah, I remember going up to her and being like, I loved all of this. Like, I'm following you, you know, I, I, and, and I just kind of, I, I really did just start start following like the content that she was putting out. Um, fast forward a few years, I was in an executive group that Anne Marie was running, and we just you know I started as a client, but we became really good friends. I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, so I started out in business development, and I had launched one of the first academic certification programs for sales and business development in the country. It's this really weird thing. Sales and business development is the only revenue generating activity in the business in a business, and it is what is taught the least. Yeah, everything else is an expense. Everything. And so I started this program and I was just teaching storytelling organically because I knew it worked, but I didn't know why. And then I came across all of this neuroscience behind it. And it was like, for me, just groundbreaking. It was like, oh, there's a reason that this works. It's not just because I've personally observed this anecdotally. And then I just started shaping content that would fit more directly and specifically in these business modules and these business contexts. We're all natural storytellers, but what I wanted to do was teach people how to do it consciously and thoughtfully and authentically and honestly for business development. And so that's really how I got started in it. And then Holly was a client of mine for years. And when I decided I needed to expand, I invited her to the dance and asked her if that. she wanted to. I um, said yes. <laughs> she said yes if she wanted to partner with me. And we launched the company in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. Oh, I can't Don't let that stop that. you. <laughs> yeah, no. And I feel like you either you either sat still during the pandemic or you like leveled up majorly I feel like that's like kind of the consensus for sure yeah I mean we we talked frequently about there was just this specific moment in time um where we realized this was not going to be like a two-week you know I, I I always um analogize it to growing up in Indiana we had snow days when I first heard about like the lockdown I was like oh it's like two weeks of snow days for my kids how cool I mean oh my god obviously I was extremely wrong about that. <laughs> um, and I would say probably three or four weeks in, we were on a call together and we were like, holy hell, this is, you know, Anne Marie used to be on a plane like every week traveling and training. Right. And that was sort of the plan for the business that we would continue in that model. And, um, obviously that was insanely disrupted. So we had to pivot, like you said, and we just, I remember distinctly, I was like, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And we decided we know what to do. Like we know how to make this work. We know how to go out and hustle. We know how to, how to tell our story. I think, you know, for us, I think for anyone who was sort of in business at that time or launching something at that time, or just trying to survive during that time, there's a, there was a thought of like, this is going to be scary. And we, and we don't know the sense of the unknown. I think during the pandemic was really weighty for all of us. We didn't know what it was going to look like, but we knew that we could harness the skills that we had to not only survive, but truly thrive in the business. And I'm not going to say it was easy all the time, but I am sure as hell glad that I took that leap. Yeah. I love that. And I know you dabbled a little bit into it, but what did you do, Anne-Marie, before you guys launched this? I know that you were a journalist, Holly, and a lawyer. What was, like, have you always just been super into storytelling? Was that a part of your career before you guys launched this business together? 
So I was doing consulting and coaching in business development okay. almost exclusively um, in leadership, but I've always done a lot of storytelling. I mean, I did an off-Broadway one-woman show. I've done, oh, you know. I've, you need yeah. to talk more on that for just like a <laughs> so second. She does. <laughs> yeah. So I've always done a lot of writing and creating. That's uh, And for me, integrating that into business was really seamless. Um, so the shift was more of an expansion and rebranding, calling it story imprinting rather than just my own name, mm -hmm. um, doing a lot of the same work and then adding to it Holly's PR background and media training and things like that. So what is like, what is the logistics behind that? Like, what have you guys found in regard to storytelling that you teach businesses when you go and when they hire you to come out? One of the things that people don't anticipate is they think about structure, right? It's got to have a beginning, middle, and end. It has to have resolution. But really what the pull is, is it has to have authenticity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It has to have some authentic voice that people, that resonates with people. I think that particularly a younger generation, you know, I'm quite a bit older than everybody here and probably everybody listening. <laughs> um, there was sort of this idea that professionalism equated with polish and perfection and whatever. I think that we're finding, whether it's executive presence or anything else, we kind of all know that's bullshit now. Mm -hmm. And I think a younger generation is like, get off of it. Like, they're just not as... And while I think social media has a tendency to show a really polished image all the time, I also think where you see the real depth, not just numbers, but depth of commitment to people, is when they have moments of vulnerability and authenticity mm -hmm. that resonate yeah. with people. That's what creates a kind of sort of, you know, a neural connection between one human and another. And story imprinting, the very name, comes from the idea of imprinting as in nature. A, a baby duck sees a mama duck. It says, you're a duck. I'm a duck. I'm going to follow you. Mm -hmm. That's what storytelling does. No, totally. And I think that, I mean, that was a huge part of, like, why I started and I've talked about my journey here already but like just creating a space of authenticity unapologetic fashion and lifestyle I think you're right we're getting to a place where like people don't want like perfect anymore especially after the pandemic people are realizing like this is not real life and that perfect curated image of quote-unquote storytelling people are seeing those quotes now and it's not the real story you just see followers wanting to follow people who they can trust and I know that's what you guys do you guys I was like looking at story imprinting online you guys talk about how like you cannot build trust without storytelling yeah I mean I remember one of the first um trips that we took pre-pandemic together to San Francisco I was like learning to deliver a lot of this content because as Marie mentioned as Anne-Marie mentioned she's an expert at creating the content, right? And and so I was going to be delivering some of this. So we went to a storytelling training. Do you remember this? And it was at a, a big tech company. And uh, these trainings are always interactive. So we want people to be actually learning like a laboratory, right? Like yeah. we're going to teach you this skill. And then we want you to go out into groups in the training and practice it, right? And um, I forget what the prompt was. It was, you know, sharing a story about something and someone came back and basically just shared an anecdote in which they look really amazing, right? <laughs> and there was just crickets. Do you remember this? I mean, and, and I thought, oh God, like that's, that's it, exactly sort of what we talk about happening in real time. Like nobody wants to hear all of the stories in which you were the hero. I mean, it's, it, it, you, you can be a hero sometimes, but you're not all the time because you're human, right? And I think to your point, there is this hunger for, so looking beyond the veneer, you know, of mm -hmm. perfection and, and some real authenticity. I think 
again, in the pandemic, not to keep harping, harping on that, but we were going into people's homes like every day, multiple times a day on Zoom or Teams or WebEx, right? And, and so there was very little room, I think, for that hyper-perfect polish that idea just became kind of stripped away. And I totally agree with you. I do think a younger generation coming into the workforce doesn't have time or patience for that, mm-hmm. right? Because they are communicating on all of these social media channels and they are, you know, they know what they like, right? Like your, mm-hmm. I, your, your, your platform, I think, works so well because you show up as your whole self. Thank you. It does. Yeah. And, um, And so I just think we're going to see more and more of that, um, especially as we move into sort of like this post-pandemic norm. New normal. I hate that phrase, but everybody was throwing it out there. No, they are. And it's funny that, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about how much time has gone by since then. (laughs) Insane. Yes. Actually insane. Um, But I guess like logistically, what does it look like when you go into these businesses? Like, what are you trying to help them with? Like, what do you accomplish? What's kind of like the game plan there? Yeah, so let's say they want to do something on business development and storytelling. It might be they want to do something about executive presence or negotiation. We do a lot of different programming. But let's just say it's leadership and storytelling. We'll go in and we'll teach them the basics of the neuroscience of storytelling the structure of storytelling, so they know what it is and they know why. And can you get into that a tiny <laughs> bit? I, I, sure, <laughs> I surely can. I can do it all day long. Please, How much please. time do we have? No, Someone, we, bring me a wine. We do, because it's, <laughs> it's super interesting, and I think it's very valuable, like, not only in your career, whatever you're doing, like, not just arts, not, not just influencing, no, not social media, and your personal life. Yes. Like, and the way you interact with oh, people. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing you have to understand is when you are not using storytelling, you are working against human nature. We are naturally storytellers by definition. That's who we are. It is how we bond. It is how we create community. It's how we build trust, compassion, collaboration. All of that is through narrative. Now, why that is so, and I'll condense this really, really quickly, but it is only when I'm telling a story that our brains are in sync. If I'm just giving directions, that doesn't happen. So the only time where our brains are lit up in the same space to create the opportunity for bonding is when one of us is telling a story and one of us is listening. The other thing that happens is storytelling releases oxytocin in the body. The same thing that allows us to fall in love with somebody is released during storytelling. So what happens is that's what builds what we call habitual trust in nature. And all of that can only be garnered when you're telling a story, when you're telling a powerful story. So if you want to influence an outcome, if you want to get people to do something, the best possible tool you have at your disposal is a story, and it's free so crazy <laughs> like absolutely so crazy so you go in and you teach them those first that yeah. yeah so we would have like potentially sometimes I'm we're hired for a keynote in which we would just go into a conference and do an hour sometimes we're doing a workshop which might be half a day or a full day where it's much more application story sharing exchange that kind of thing problem solving so they might say hey we have this client that we're trying to move we're trying to get them to do x what kind of story do we need and we would break down well they're this kind of audience so you want to tell a story about mm-hmm. this size client that's done this that's had this struggle and this is how you were um, crucial in that transformation. So we would break down and problem solve what the narrative strategy would be. 
for any communication plan. And we work with a lot of, you know, lawyers, people in financial services, and they're always sort of saying like, well, data, we have, you know, here's all the data. We have 300 offices. We have this many employees. We have, you know, we service X number of clients. Nobody, that doesn't, you don't remember that, right? What, What do they remember? They remember the story about the time that you helped a person like them. No, totally. I mean, it's like, even when you go to like a conference or like, an auction or you see the like video they make on like the person they helped or like you don't remember like we increased this much in this whatever the scale is like you don't remember the data you don't remember the accomplishments bullet point list that they did that year you remember the video of the like sweet old lady coming on the screen and talking about how their company impacted her and it's her story and that's what you remember that's right and you know even when you're looking at things like um getting startup money and investors even you know angel investors will tell you we are looking for a powerful story we're looking for somebody that can cross the line the truth of the matter is the technology changes always always any founder will tell you the ultimate idea in technology changes over time they want like what is the compelling story because the story is the why it's the driver that's going to keep people going and get people behind you and if you don't have that all the other stuff doesn't matter and i think i was talking um, in the first like solo episode about kind of my journey and how I started in building how Han sees it. And I think in the beginning I was like very lost and there was just this like mission missing and it made what I was doing, even though like the fashion was cute, whatever, it only takes you so far. And if you don't have that mission or like your why, there's really no point. You'll just plateau. Like you're not going to keep growing. And I will say, I mean, having done a lot of PR for companies, like that is not an uncommon sort of path, right? Yeah. I mean, I frequently when we work with startups, you know, I still do a, a decent bit of that sort of PR consulting and they'll want to just like throw a bunch of content out there right away because they feel like that's what they should be doing. And I'm always like, whoa, 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 you know, let's, I, I want to know the why. And I want to like sort of interrogate that relentlessly. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this and, you know, always ask yourself that. Why? Why? How? How? Right? Like continue to sort of drill down. That helps you kind of get at your values, your mission statement. Um, Because a PR plan or a content plan is really nothing if you don't know the, the, the direction in which it ultimately should be going and sort of what it's supporting. But I feel like that's the hardest part. It totally is the hardest part. And I think that's why people skip over it. Because they're like, uh, I don't know my, like, elevator pitch or like I don't know how to communicate my story so I guess that would be the second part probably teaching businesses how to articulate actually do it so once you know the data how do you actually go about getting good at storytelling, whether it's in business or in your personal life? Yeah, some of it is just practice. I mean, most of the stories I tell, I've told a million times, and Mm -hmm. I continue to tell them because they work. I don't need to tell a different story every single time. It's a different audience every single time. Mm -hmm. Rarely is there an overlap. I want to hand-select the most impactful stories that I can tell over and over and over again. And so you get good at it by thinking of, before we go on a client call, we'll say, okay, this is a huge financial institution, one of the top three financial institutions in the country. Are we going to be telling them a story about Google? Hell no, we're not. We're going to be telling them a story about another financial institution Mm -hmm. and the work we did with them and the impact we had with them. So the first thing to do is like figure out who is the audience? What do they want to hear? What do I predict they want to hear? And the other thing is, I can't say enough of this from a business development side, listen 
listen deeply. Don't be so quick to deliver, deliver, deliver. You know, if you have people who are largely, you know, operating from a digital space, somebody reaches out to you for a partnership for whatever, don't go and dump everything you can do. Don't negotiate against yourself. Start with, tell me more about who you are. What's your story? The fastest way for you to convert them and get the most leverage is for you to get the most information. Mm-hmm. So that you're speaking to that information specifically. Oh, yeah, I did something very similar with XYZ. Instead of talking about, like, listen, we've done some very shiny things. It doesn't matter to a company that's not that's a small company. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about the shiny things with them. I'm going to talk about what we've done with a really modest company. I've talked about that, um, I think, in a different episode with some influencer gals because we get questions all the time about, like, how do you pitch a brand and it's like there are hundreds and hundreds of people trying to do the same thing what's going to make you stand out and I think what you're saying is that like you need to give them something that makes you more interesting and if you're applying what you've done to something that works perfectly within their business and you have that like connection they're going to want to work with you over the person that's just talking about what they did with whoever company that doesn't apply to them whatsoever That's right. And asking really smart questions, you know, saying to somebody, what does a wildly successful partnership look like to you? What would that equal to you? I don't know if I can give it to you, but tell me what you would like that to be. And if I can give it to you, I'll tell you. And if I can't, I'll tell you who might be able to. That's a really powerful way to enter that kind of dialogue versus let me dance like a monkey and tell you all the ways Mm. I'm so great. Yeah. Like, like it's like shake your money maker, girl. What about this? <laughs> like jazz hands, jazz hands, jazz hands. How about this? Instead, like, You're like that's awesome. We, <laughs> yeah. we don't care. Yeah. That's, awesome. yeah, that's great. We don't care. And so entering every dialogue with like, what is it you deeply want? Like if success could be X, Y, or Z. And let me tell you how I can or cannot get that to you. That's a much more powerful way to enter a dialogue than from this way of like, you know, you're like sort of like somebody with your cup going please love me please love me like that's often what happens that's not the most powerful dynamic to enter those dialogues in and that is not something that's taught very frequently right like did you learn that in college like I didn't I didn't learn in law school either you guys should teach a college course (laughs) I mean sure let's do it um but but I you know I just don't think that that's something that is routinely talked about, discussed, you know, and so people do you, it's very easy to get into that dance monkey dance, you know, like I'm here I am, here I am. And it's, it, because that is a natural position when it's like, if someone just came in here and said, so tell me what you do and why I should hire you. I mean, Anne-Marie has a great story about this. Mm -hmm. It, It takes you off guard. Right. And you feel the need to sort of respond to that. Mm-hmm. Right. And what do you do in that situation, friend? Yeah. I Tell always the story. say, Tell the story. so I had a woman who did exactly that. And typically what happens if anybody refers to me, it's usually like a really warm or fiery hot referral. They know me. This is not <laughs> what happened. This was somebody who had an issue and somebody's like, hey, I heard this woman does this, but I don't know her at all. I have just heard of her. So you know, I go to this meeting and before my ass can hit like the chair, she crosses her arms and looks at me and says, tell me who you are, what you do and why I should write you a check. Go. (laughs) And I kind of laughed just like that. And I said, why don't you tell me who you are, what I'm doing here and what your problem is. And I'll tell you if I can fix it. And if I can't, I'll tell you who might be able to go. Power move. <laughs> Badass bitch. Badass bitch. Flipped it around and she started talking and talking and talking. And I'm like, well, here's what how I would deal with that. Here's what I've done before. Here's what and at the end she said, 
so that bag at your feet, do you have an agreement in there? And I said, no. She goes, if you did, I'd sign it. And I said, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And we laughed and I sent her an agreement. But had I just danced, there's no way in hell that woman would have hired me. No way in hell. Because it's, again, there's, then it becomes about me and my capacity to dance, not about her, her problem, and listening to her story and figuring out what is her struggle and why is she, and how can I serve that struggle? That's what you're trying to figure out. Because if you would have started, quote unquote, dancing for her, like what's the point of hiring someone or engaging in business with someone who is almost like, intimidated and trying to live up to whatever you're projecting like they should be teaching you something they should be doing something for you they should be kind of like a power force for you that you should be learning from and if you would have just like kind of been submissive about it she would have been like oh well she's not the girl for the job and what also happens in that situation if you if you do play into it is like the energy just sort of drains right because I I am not you know too proud to say like I have danced I have been especially when I was practicing law you know we've all danced and you go and you're like doing your tap dancing or, you know, and you're finished. And then you're like, do you have any more questions of me? Like, is, do you, what'd, you, what'd you think about that? Right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but again, like it's, it's so common. We have so many clients who have come to us and said like, oh my God, I danced and I used to dance all the time. And now I, now I know to ask the right questions, you know? Well, I think it all goes back to like the power of authenticity. Like yeah. authenticity is not reciting your little spiel it's about figuring out how you like we talked about can relate to the other person and I think there's something really powerful about that because this whole message of authenticity and people are responding more to authenticity and unapologetic realness like it's not real to just dance yeah and and I will also say I'm kind of getting a little far afield from your initial question but but I think this is relevant. I mean, owning mistakes is huge too. And it's not something I think, you know, certainly I used to really struggle with that. Um, whether it was a big mistake or a small mistake or a mess up, I, I really would internalize the failure and get defensive. And I think that, um, being able to tell a story, if you're going to give feedback to someone about a mistake that they made, being able to say, I have been you. This is a time when I colossally, colossally screwed it up and I was better because I owned it. I mean, there's a lot of currency in that too. I think mm-hmm. if you're in an organization, you know, and you're managing someone, and by the way, like new managers, we don't teach people how to manage, right? Companies just generally don't. It's like, oh, you get a promotion. You're managing three people now. Like go, right? <laughs> like do your job and figure out how to like give, give feedback to them in real time. I think um, there is a shift. We When we talk about this concept in training, I can see in people's faces that it resonates with them. And I just don't know that there's enough conversation around that because that's a key part of authenticity as well. Yeah. You can't really, it's hard to teach authenticity because it's hard to like explain to people like how to just like be authentic and utilize that. Yeah. And I think it's become one of those words that's overused, you know, so it's like, we don't really know, but at the end of the day, it's like radical vulnerability. It's, and I think that that used to be read as weakness, but it can be a superpower and you can wield it that way if you so select. And I often share, you know, my mom sort of, I guess it was what, a year into the pandemic, something like that, a year into the pandemic or halfway in, was dying and she was dying at home and the, like in hospice in my house downstairs while I was working. And so, you know, I would be taking a conference call upstairs 
while my kids were helping with my mom who was dying. And I just made this decision that I was like, I am not going to bullshit this and like pretend like, hi, I've got to go. My partner will uh, take over. And so every call, I would say, hi, everybody. Thank you so much for inviting us. I really appreciate it. Also, I just want to let all of you know my mother is actively dying downstairs in hospice, and I may be torn away at any moment. And so I thank you in advance for your understanding and patience, and at which point my partner will take over. We never lost a client from that. We got every one of those clients, and I always got an email. And once we had a client in the middle say, before we move on, I just want to say that's the bravest thing I've ever seen anybody do. And thank you for that. And it was the invitation to, it didn't make me any less good at the work I was doing, but as it happened, my mother was dying. And I mm -hmm. wasn't going to pretend she wasn't for some s business call. It's like, this is going on. I can still do this call and understand, like, you're in my house, and this yeah. is the reality. And so I think that there's a belief system still that lingers that, like, Somehow I have to show up polished and pretend this thing isn't happening. But I think that there's a lot of power and yes, it is happening and so what? Like let's like let's move on. And I might walk away from this call. I could have lied, but for me, the radical vulnerability is also like being honest, mm -hmm. being profoundly honest when it is uncomfortable to do so. Totally. And I think that's probably why podcasts are starting to do so well now too. People are itching for that they want that and it's almost like that sigh of relief like when you went on those calls and were just vulnerable in that way they all got to like take that sigh and deep breath and be like oh now I can drop my facade and we can get real here and right. when you get real that's when real shit happens yeah and yeah. people trust you and the amount of people who would say you know when my dad was dying I was crying in the bathroom every day alone and I didn't want anybody to know or think that I couldn't do my job but the minute you sort of like Everybody has a parent. Everybody has somebody, a struggle. And I say this all the time. Everybody has a wound and a story you cannot see. Everyone. Mm -hmm. Every asshole you encounter, every person, like there's something going on that you can't see that isn't about you. And when you operate from an understanding that you know that, you are a better human in the world. Now, it's hard to do that, and I'm not always able to do it. Sometimes I'm like, who do you think you are talking to me <laughs> this way, okay? But, <laughs> but when I'm my highest and best self, I'm able to remember that. Well, and I think there's something really attractive about it, too, and probably a way that I know you will get into this probably, but like how you can assert influence, whether it's in your relationships, at your job, there's a level of like influence that you get to have when you decide to drop the act and it there's something attractive about it almost and I know you talked about that so I don't want to take that thunder so maybe get into that well, I mean I will say like when you have a facade the problem is somebody can find you out it's like having a secret yeah but when you don't have one like you're just walking around the world fully liberated like you can take me or leave me but like here it is and nobody has the power to sort of out you as being someone other than you are because you are this person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, circling it back a little bit to fashion too. I mean, first of all, hello. <laughs> Look at her. Um, but, you know, when I was practicing law, like I definitely compartmentalized, you know, who I was outside of work and then who I thought I needed to be as a lawyer. Right. So, um, the black suits. Oh my God. So many black suits, so many sad Navy blue suits. That was like my <laughs> nod to color, you know? And I was, af I was afraid to sort of show up outside the lines and, and dress. I mean, I would straighten my hair and like, I, you know, if you're watching this, like I 
have very curly hair. And I spent all this time sort of trying to mold my, there's nothing wrong with straightening your hair, but like I tried to mold myself into what I thought the industry or the profession wanted to see of me. I think that has changed so much. I mean, this was years ago, but but I still see, you know, clients that we work with, people that we know do that. And it, it's just, you know, we only get so many trips around the sun, right? So like mm-hmm. I, I do, I, I, and partnering with her has definitely like my, my fashion game has really, um, I think I with all of our shopping trips has really, um, you know, not ratcheted up, but I have daughters, I have two young daughters and I'm trying to show them like, girls show up as you are. You do not need to look like everybody else. You do not need to show up like everybody else. Like you were the only you we've got. So like go do it. Right. And so I think that's I don't know. And that has a story, too. Right. Like thinking about like, where did that come from for you and why was that important to Mm -hmm. you and what did it mean to you? And, you know, for me, I grew up in a culture of poverty. That's the story. Right. I didn't have new things. I didn't have certainly not brand things, let alone new things. And but for my mom, who grew up even more poor on a sugarcane plantation in Hawaii, Looking good did not cost money. Style had nothing to do with money. Like you could show up and you could look better than anybody else in the room. You just knew it needed to know how to shop and you needed to know how to thrift and you needed to know how to style. This is way before anybody thought that way. And so for me, style and that expression was also a power tool. I was a super shy kid, reserved kid. I got the shit beaten out of me when I was a little kid. And for me, it was a kind of armor. It was a kind of way to go, F you. I'm going to be who I am, where I am, wherever I am, no matter what. And so for anybody who is doing this kind of work that you're doing, yourself included, tying it not to just what's beautiful or what's stylish or what's on trend, but like why does it matter to you and where is that root coming from? Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful too because I feel like a lot of people in your situation would have maybe shut down and stayed not vulnerable. So how do you think that, like, you know what I mean? Like, we have so many inside. It's a great question. Keep going. No, no, it's an excellent question. She's gonna nail it. No, because I'm genuinely curious because I feel like anyone in that situation would have kind of just shut down and maybe thought that like vulnerability is weakness and like so. How did that translate now into obviously that's a completely opposite? Did you just feel like you figured it out and because of that? No, I think I was a monster for a long time. And, and that's my real answer. I think I was really shut down. I was the opposite of vulnerability in every way, shape, or form. And I still struggle with it mightily. When I'm being super honest with people, I always say, listen, I grew up in a world that was really hard and really tough. And my sort of struggle, my life struggle is reduced down to how to stay tough without becoming hard. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it came naturally to me at all. I think it's been a lot of work, but what I have seen is the right story at the right time can save somebody's life. The right story, when you crack yourself open in a way, I mean, I to get back to my one woman show, at the very end, I, or not towards the end, but in the very end, but in, somewhere in the middle of the show, I tell the story about yelling at my kid. And I screamed. I just yelled at mine today. That's why she's motioning to me. I had to have a therapy session with her about it. And I scream at my kid. And I have this, it's totally shameful. Like it's filled with shame for me. But I never had a, there was never a time, not in New York or Chicago or San Francisco or San Diego or Santa Fe where I did that show where somebody didn't come up to me crying and saying, I did that to my kid. But there's all, like what you do is you take all the shame away when you start talking from your most authentic place Mm -hmm. whatever that is when you sort of tap into that you remove your like shame no longer gets to hold you prisoner 
That's amazing. I love that. And I think, you know, I was listening to you talk and um, I, I have had my share of sort of childhood traumas and my, but my response was to become like this epic people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and so it's just, it, we, and Maria and I get along so well. And I think we're such great partners because we really do have shared values and, and shared, even though, you know, she grew up in Northern California, I grew up in Southern Indiana, Di- different circumstances, but different sort of drivers, I think, or similar drivers rather in terms of how, why we are the way we are now and why we work well. But, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a people pleaser, like, please stop, right? Because nobody <laughs> actually ever gets pleased. But I but I thought I needed to make myself sort of as palatable, palatable as possible to as many people as possible. And that is also not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I, and I see that a lot when we are doing trainings on executive presence and leadership presence, right? Because if you want to undermine your presence as a leader, go try and please everyone. Like, it just doesn't work. Um, and I don't know if you see that, like, just in, in terms of, of, of your world and what you do, but um, I would imagine when you're being courted by big brands who want to do partnerships, it's easy to say yes to a lot of things, right? And that's another thing that we see a lot. People pleasers love to say, yes, 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 yes. Sure, I can do it. Sure, I can take on more. And what happens is you abandon a piece of yourself in doing that totally and I or if you're accepting something that doesn't align with the mission that you've like oh hold on one second hello hello is, is that, that your phone is that one I think of ours? it's yours it's oh my gosh she's gonna be I back but we're I'm definitely not editing this out I love it this is just like the Wrong. boss bitch, the boss bitch ring. She'll, she'll be back so funny no but I think that there's just something really really special when you get to a place where you understand that saying no is very powerful and in the long term saying yes to things that don't align with your brand can be really damaging and actually make you unsuccessful later yeah I mean yes no is a complete sentence you know and um and what you just said reminded me of you know early on in the pandemic um we were approached with, from a lot of large companies who wanted to put out statements around like Black Lives Matter. And this was after George Floyd was murdered. And, you know, I, we had a conversation and I was like, listen, like it's a lot of work, but if they aren't going to show me like what they're actually doing, you know, if they can't tell us what they've been doing historically, you know, in this space, I'm not interested, right? Whereas I will be really honest with you, you know, I was a habitual, like I felt like I needed to take, get all the business and do all the work. I don't know that I would have asked those questions five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, right? And, And so it's a process. You're constantly, I think if you are in that habit of saying yes to everything and trying to, you know, especially when you're building a business, right? It's easy. You're like, I want to get all the work. I I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. So I got to like stockpile. Being able to slow down and really ask yourself those tough questions and, and be choosy about who you are sharing your precious time with. I mean, it is a skill. It's something that I'm always working on. And she knows I don't always nail it. Sometimes she's like, why are you still doing X, Y, Z? Right. I love that. You we may have asked me that, that today. Keeps us accountable. Totally. Yeah. I'm somebody who's like, no. <laughs> like, if I didn't want to do this, I would have been like, no, Hannah, at the club. You're not I know. Like, That's why I was so scared to ask you, you because <laughs> I know you would keep it real. Because I'd be like, no, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And part of it is I just think I really value my time and I want to do the things I really love that matter to me that are interesting to me. Um, And if you fill it with stuff that's just drudgery, you don't have any room to do what matters to you. And I think 
think that even back to your point, Holly, I think there's a lot of people in just my industry who are trying to be something they're not. I think you see someone who's successful and I'm a strong believer, like surround yourself with successful people, copy the successful people. But if you're aligning like your self brand off of someone else, that's just completely inauthentic one. And it's just not going to work. Like you can't do it. Well, and I mean, even our own partnership, I mean, Anne-Marie is a big personality. Like, and oh, really? Yeah, she is. <laughs> and I love that about her. And um, when we first started working together, do you remember this? I was like, people are not going to want me. They're going to want you. You know, I mean, and I'm pretty badass. Like, I have a good, I have good self-esteem. Like, I, I know what I bring to the table. Um, and you said to me, well, they don't have, like, they, they can, they don't want two of me. They want you, right? Like, we have our own unique gifts. But it's, to your point, like, even having known her for many years and, and sort of worked with her as a client and worked with her informally on projects, when we first started, I was like, well, do I just do it the way, do I deliver these trainings the way that she does it? Hell no, that's totally inauthentic. That's also really exhausting, right? And so, but it's a process. And I think you have to be gentle with yourself and allow yourself the missteps and the mistakes and you're not going to crush it all the time and you might say something that you regret and you own it and you move on and you try to be a better person and you try to be a better human you know and, and but but that's listen I'm you know it's taken me many decades to get there yeah. <laughs> I think it takes practice for sure and I'm sure you guys probably talk about that with your clients like storytelling is not something that comes naturally for everyone so how I guess my question is like, how do you get better at it? Do you just have to repeat or do you practice certain things? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to start with like, where do you need to be telling stories? Like you have to, in your own business, like where is it absent? Is it your marketing? Is it your consultations with people? Is it dialogues? Is it like, where is it absent when you're giving a speech? I mean, a perfect example is I've done coaching for TED. I've done a TED talk. um, And you know, one of their TED commandments is thou shall tell a story. It ha- They don't care if you're talking about economics, science. They don't care. There has to be a narrative there. Why? Because we remember narrative. And narrative is the first form of something going viral. It's how we pass things along. It's through story. It's the very first, very first form of anything going viral. And so I think you start, like step one is figure out, like, where do I not have storytelling? Look at your website. Is your about section about like your achievements or is there a narrative root of your background and who you are? Do I get to know you at all? I want to know something about you, not just like I like these five things and this is what I do. So start there. Go to wherever you're doing your marketing and figure out is there a story there? Do people know what my story is? And if they don't, they should because it's easier to fall in love with somebody if we know their story because the specific is what draws people to you. Um, And so I would start there. Start with, hey, I have this call planned with this potential partnership. What story can I tell? And that story you're probably going to tell over and over and over again with a bunch of other people. So it's crafting that story, but it's figuring out first where do you need stories that you don't have and then identifying those stories. And we talk a lot about sort of dropping into moments, right? Mm -hmm. So um, for, you know, say for someone who does what you do, it might be very easy to say, well, you know, tell me like your origin. How did you get into this? Well, I've just l- always loved fashion. Okay, that is, that's, like, that's like an anecdote. That's, you're, you're telling me a small, why? Drop it. Like, how old were you when you, you know, when you Remember went Remember wanting something. Yes, thank you. Coveting a piece of fashion. Yeah. Like that moment. Was it something your grandmother had? Was it something your mother had? Was it something in a store window? Fall into that moment yeah. and tell that story of that moment. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. So I, th- and, but I, but I think it's, 
because this is not a skill that's really cultivated in formal education, certainly, um, and then when we get into professional sort of silos, it's it's even less common. Um, I think being able to sort of conceptualize, you know, those key moments in your life, your origin story, your vision for the future, where are you taking this brand? You know, like what, what, who do you hope to change through this brand? And can you get into moments where you have, even at a small scale, had that tangible experience of changing someone through the brand? Does that make sense to you? Totally. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, and I just, you know, that's, it's, again, I, I mentioned this earlier. It's the same kind of questions I ask any large company we work with on a PR campaign, um, but it applies to individuals regardless of whether you're an influencer, regardless of whether, you know, you're an engineer, an architect, you're working in a bank branch. Like, I don't care. We all have we're all just a collection of stories. You know, I mean, I talk all the time um, about my mom. My mom sold cemetery property and prearranged funerals on commission only. Okay. That's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> um, my mom um, was married uh, at 15 and um, had dropped out of high school, had no real formal education. And when she and my dad split up, she needed to hustle and make some money. And so she got her life insurance license. Wow. I know. And um, which I didn't really appreciate at the time how badass this was. I mean, commission only, right? She's not making a salary. She's got to go out there and convince people who don't want to think about death <laughs> that they're going to die and they need to prearrange their funeral. And um, she used to take me um, after school. I'd have to go with her to these appointments in people's houses. And sometimes I'd go in with her and sometimes I'd stay in the car. Um, but I was always listening to her on the phone, cold calling. And that was the best education in business development I ever could have gotten. And my mom has no formal education. Why was this such a powerful experience? She saw people as whole humans. She didn't care if they um, wanted the most expensive mausoleum with a fax machine inside, which she did actually sell once to this what? totally crazy man who had more money than sense. Um, or they just wanted like the pine box they're going to be buried in, in the ground and that was it, the most simple funeral. She treated them as equals, as humans. She asked them really thoughtful questions. She remembered what they said, which I think is something that we struggle with in a highly fragmented society. Um, and it was just a, a masterclass in business development and, and, and in how to show up as your authentic self at work. But I will tell you, I, had, I didn't always tell that story. I told it once in a training, and Anne-Marie was like, that was really good. Like, why, are, why have you not been telling that story, <laughs> right? Because I think it's very common, even for us, to think like, oh my god, nothing interesting ever happens to me. I have right. no stories. Yeah. Right. And I just to get back to what you were saying, because I think it's good to make this applicable for those for people listening. Let's take you, let's sit with that for a minute and linger here for a second. So if I were, we, if we were working with you, we would say like, what's your origin story to doing this? Is it just that you like, were you always in love with it? Were you always good at it? Did you used to like be terrible at it? And then you got good at it. It doesn't matter what the story is. We just need to know what it is. That's going to be your origin story. You need to be able to tell that story everywhere you go all the time. You're speaking on a panel. You're talking. It, it should be on your website. It should be everywhere. Like what is your origin story? Then the other story you want is thinking about impact. Who do you want to impact and how? Like, what is it you want them to, people to do? Do you want them to go out and buy more stuff? Do you want them to feel empowered by whatever? Like, what is the thing? And then thinking about a story when somebody reached out to you and said, oh, my God, like, I've been following you in this thing. That's the story you want to tell. That's why you're doing this. Mm -hmm. That person. 
Like you want a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million of a those million. people. She wants a million. A million. A million one million people <laughs> of those people that you have an impact with. Yeah. That's the story you're trying to tell. So that would be another story you would want to glom onto. And then the same with like a partnership. It's like dialoguing really carefully about a brand and thinking, this is why I want to do this with this brand because they're doing this in this way and this is what matters to me. So teasing out those stories allows you to thread them through your business in a really seamless way and be much more influential and much more sophisticated around your communication and seem much more elevated in the marketplace and distinguish yourself from somebody else who's just selling the exact same thing. Right. Dude, amen. How does one like take that into real life? I think I have a hard time with vulnerability in general with relationships. I think I'm like pretty open, but I think I do it in like a very like strategic way. You know what I mean? Like, and I can talk about, you know, my feet, the past and what I've been through, but I think like feelings are hard for people. So how do you take storytelling into your relationships and try to amplify that to get influence in your relationships and in real life? So to me, storytelling is a great way to, bridge understanding it's like I am this way because Mm -hmm. and like sharing a story about something that's happened to you about the way you grew up that's a really useful thing to share with somebody and you need to make sure that you're sharing these with good story stewards who are good listeners and protect you I don't think you should be vulnerable with everybody all the time I think you should be very choosy Totally. But when you are, I think storytelling is a great way to story listenings and extracting people's story is really important to sort of building trust with them. But it's also like it can't be lopsided. You have to also be willing to share some of who you are. And a great way in is to look at the ways in which, you know, I, I often talk about this time that, you know, I was working for a congressionally funded foundation. And we worked for a lunatic. She was absolutely (laughs) crazy. And she was super abusive to people, not to me, because she knew better and we had a whole conversation about it. But she was super, super abusive and aggressive. And um, it kind of made everybody really, um, it did not create a very healthy environment for people, needless to say. And this very good friend of mine and I, (laughs) a colleague, we were working at the Philadelphia FBI doing these trainings. We would go from room to room. And in every room, somebody some agent would go oh are you from New York I would go no Mm -mm." or they would ask me if I was an attorney so we get to lunch in the FBI you know building with my friend and I go is that so weird everybody's asking me if I'm from New York or I'm an attorney weird right he goes no everybody's scared of you all the time and I went what he goes everyone's scared of you all of the time and I thought about it for a minute and I said my team loves me he goes your team loves you they are the most loyal team and they're terrified of you it was super painful because that was not my intention, but that was the perception and that's what mattered. And I did not know how to be another way in the world because I grew up in a way that it was like if anybody messed with you, like you took them out. <laughs> like there was no middle ground, like you took them out. You worried about it later. Had he not told me that, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today because I wouldn't be in the position I am. And It was super vulnerable and brave of him to tell me that. It's important for me to share that story to other people who I think also are are like struggling with this armor. And it's like, girl, like take it off. It's super heavy and it's actually not protecting you from anything. It's keeping you from things. What would you say are like for someone who's 
maybe thinks they're shitty at storytelling or doesn't has heard all this is super inspired, but it's like, where do I start? What would you say to them? What I always tell people is if you're super, super scared of it, think of a story you don't want to tell anyone and you don't have to tell anybody that story, but tell that story for yourself, write it out, tell it. And you realize that you have the capacity for vulnerability. You have the capacity for remembering all the important stuff. You have the capacity for presence. It, you don't have to ever tell that story if you don't want to, but it's important for you to have accessed it and know that you are made of story. When we leave this building, when we leave this conversation, when we leave this planet, all that will remain are the stories that people tell about you. You are made of blood, bones, and story. Through what you've been through, your childhood, the jobs you've had now in this awesome company with like a best friend, how do you see it? Like, how do you see the journey? How do you see just what's something you've carried with you throughout all of this? I mean, it's wide open. The future is wide open. Like, you know, I think um, for me, having been very locked into these safe jobs, not that journalism was a safe job, but being a lawyer, certainly, and then walking away from that, um, especially given my childhood, that was a big kind of risky thing for me to do. But working with this one and surviving the pandemic and coming out stronger has really reiterated that, you know, it's yours for the taking. Like, go out there and grab it. Do not lock yourself into some stratified view of what you think other people think you should be doing because that is exhausting. Lay it down, girl. Like, charge forward. I absolutely That's how I that. see it. I love that. I would say that life can be incredibly terrible and it can be wildly beautiful and it can be both things. And don't think that all of your struggles are for nothing. They are for transformation and for you to make things better and write your own story. And we've been fortunate enough to do that in a really hard time and build a business in it. But also, like, we didn't come from a shiny place. And we just decided that that wasn't our story. That was just the beginning. Thank you. Thank and you, you guys so much. the first episode. So I'm oh my really goodness. excited. Like, you're going to be the first episode. I thought we'd start the whole podcast with storytelling since it's people's stories. I love it. Thank you for having us. Yes, gorgeous. thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you leave here feeling motivated and inspired. Do not forget to rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to follow How I See It Pod so you can keep up with podcast updates and see who's coming on next. And if you're not already, come join the fam and follow at How Hand Sees It. Thank you guys.